0: Welcome to the discussion, Modern Government, AI Risk Management, sponsored by KPMG. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller.
1: My guest today is Mike Peckham, a managing director of advisory at KPMG. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Thank you. Great to be here. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. Agencies are facing a strategic imperative to use artificial intelligence in their missions. AI and machine learning, as well as other emerging technologies, are an enabler of the workforce to collect, analyze, and deliver insights to improve decision-making, something we've talked about quite often about the improvement of decision-making. At the same time, AI and ML exposes agencies to new and possibly a different set of risks. They also must consider new policy and governance approaches to mitigate and minimize those risks. So how can agencies do that? Well, Mike, that's where you come in. Once again, Mike Peckham, Managing Director of Advisory at KPMG, will tell us more about how agencies should examine their current level of AI risk preparedness and understand potential vulnerabilities. So, Mike, let me start at the beginning. Why is there such a concern around AI, particularly in light of the potential benefits, productivity savings? There's this kind of push and pull happening.
0: Well, that's a great question because uh, my journey with AI started almost 20 years ago, 15 to 20 years ago now, when I was working at the Department of Health and Human Services. And it's very interesting from the perspective that at that point in time, people were very afraid of AI. Um, And we were using simple machine learning uh, just to read invoices, optical character recognition. And the immediate response was, my job is going away. That was it. And I think that is still really foundational to what's going on today. Um, What I find interesting about that is no jobs go away. The capacity building that these new technologies allow is incredible because when I joined the government, I was literally sitting at the GS3 entering data into an old 3270 emulator, you know, mainframe. Not what I wanted to do with my life. So now that you have the information that's being able to be entered into a system automatically for you, um, you're being able to expose the data that is in that inform or the information in that data and look at it and be analytical that's really the point of why I got a college degree, um, and I don't know about others, but I, that's why I think it's really, really cool. One of the things when you bring up,
1: oh, my goodness, my job is at risk, that's been a refrain over the last five, six, seven years, specifically as more agencies started using, for instance, robotics process automation, RPA, which is kind of the junior AI. Uh, do you th- even all the successes that's happened over the last few years uh, with using RPA as an example and now the move to AI,
0: that still is that the common refrain you hear? So I love the, the RPA analogy. Um, there's a constant argument, I would say, right now, is RPA part of AI? I mean, <laughs> that's the whole discussion we could have, right. So, um, you know, and, and I get it because um, a guy that I worked with when I was in the government who was over at GSA, um, he called it the gateway drug um, to AI. And I believe he was right from the perspective of, RPA introduces folks to this idea or this concept that computers can do the work of the individual. Um, They can do it a lot faster and they can make it, they can make life a lot easier. It's the intelligent automation piece where you start to layer on the technologies, um, the machine learning, anything else, the natural language processing that you want to use to glean more information. That's when it gets a little scary for folks. But I can tell you, I did, back in the early 1990s, um, dating myself a little bit, I did travel post-payment audits. And I walked back into uh, an organization years later, and I said, I'd love to introduce RPA. And so we did. And we did it specifically on the travel post-payment audits because I knew that that process hadn't changed much in in all that time. And it really hadn't. I I checked with everybody. So we went in, utilizing human-centered design. We really looked very closely at the process, and we said, perfect um, opportunity. And it was. It was. We took a 54-minute process down to nine minutes, and everybody said, hey, we're done. I said, well, wait a minute. Think about what we can do if we really start to put some uh, intelligent automation behind this. If we start to do analysis, so we've got the RPA introducing the information to the individual, that previously they're pulling all that information together. Well, now we start to understand what the human does with that information so that the next time around when we layer in our intelligent automation – and the AI, then it's giving them options. Hey, 90% of the time when I saw these scenarios, it was option A. 70% of the time it was whatever. You know, I mean, it's helping the human make that final decision, but allowing the human to make that final decision. And that goes back to that point of, are we going to replace people, you know, with the robots? No. I think that we do need to make sure that the humans are there because we inherently understand things about data that a computer never will.
1: One of the things that I've seen in the last again three four five years around RPA specifically, and we're going to not spend a ton of time on RPA, but is just the acceptance. I think once people saw, especially in the financial management world, which which obviously you came from, that's a that was a oh I don't have to enter data in, in data sheets. Is that the same kind of benefits people are starting to see with with advanced AI and machine learning that oh it's really going to make my job better easier and if you will I can have a bigger impact on the mission.
0: I think you are right, and I think that the realization is, is now there. Uh, the, the fear is getting less and less, and that is where when we sit uh, from an organization like KPMG, we want to enlighten folks that this will only make your life better. Um, think about the idea of how you use all the tools that are on your, you know, whether you use Apple or, or, or Android. It um, doesn't matter. Look at what, how you're using those tools today. You're using all sorts of AI in ways that you never dreamed that you would. It's made your life easier. You're shopping on Amazon. You're buying stuff today. You're getting it tomorrow at your house. These are things that we need to be introducing into our professional lives. We've just been very, very slow to adopt them. And honestly, I don't have the answer for that, but I, I think to your point, people are starting to make that connection. There's st- the realization is there. And um, you know, we want to help because uh, I think that we're gonna see things move really fast over the next probably like three to five years, I mean, really fast. I think that COVID showed opportunity. I think that now that we're back together and people are realizing that we can um, get these projects up and running together and really make some impactful change, it's gonna happen and it's gonna make our our heads spin.
1: I think folks don't kind of realize what's behind a lot of those things you mentioned, whether it's Amazon or, or something else, what the AI is driving. Of course, we all know when I search, I want to buy yeah. a tool, and all of a sudden oh, I get tool ads for the next uh, six months. But that's a whole different yep. discussion. Uh, so as you talk about folks who are enlightened, make their life better. They're they're really kind of the fear is less and less, but there's still risks involved. And I think that's the other part of the conversation we have to hit upon. The the risk beyond will I lose my job? I think is is short term risk. People realize fairly soon, no, my job actually will get potentially better and more involved. But what are some of those other risks that that are maybe more long-term that agencies need to keep in mind and mitigate?
0: So we've come up with an accelerated AI risk diagnostic tool. And things that we're looking at are, have you done an inventory of how you're using AI today? And I can tell you that when I was in the government, we had not done that. And we have clients right now who are, are taking that very first step. And I think it is a great first step Um, understanding what you have and how you're using it is so important so that, one, these are government funds, and nobody wants to waste those dollars. We're all taxpayers. We want to make sure we're getting the biggest bang for buck. Um, But if you don't understand, if you haven't done an inventory, you don't understand what you have, and you don't understand how you're using it, that's going to create fear for anything new that you're doing. And if you're able to talk to somebody who's already been down that path, down that road, and they can say, yeah, it's a little bit scary, but guess what? Here's what we did. Here's how we handled it. This is where our diagnostic can really help out. You know, we are prepared to come in, help folks tackle those challenges, those problems, and move forward at the fast pace that I was just talking about. A lot of folks that when I talk to and they talk about AI, it's well, it's not really AI. The
1: government is not really using AI. It's kind of the skin underneath, and 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 really, it's it's the Predictive analytics at best, maybe advanced analytics at best, but it's not true AI. Let me start with how you all define AI in your auxiliary AI risk diagnostic tool. And maybe that's a good starting point to move off of, okay, well, what, how, how do you do an inventory? First, you got to understand what is AI.
0: So first and foremost, you know, look at NIST if you want to, you know, look at the definition of AI. When we were doing AI under reInvent Grants Management, when I was in the federal government, It was very straightforward. It was very black and white. We weren't running into these ideas of, you know, what if this happens or what if that happens? It was, I'm trying to find information, I'm trying to present the information, and I'm trying to make the information consumable. We moved into sentiment analysis, and that's where it got very, very bizarre right away. And that's where I think that you need ethical AI because we started looking from a concept of, um, these are grant pre-award risk assessments. Should we, you know, be providing funding to a particular grant recipient or not? And when you start talking about a sentiment analysis, that came up because everybody does a Google search on everybody before they do any award in the federal government. So if you read CFO leaves organization, is that good or is that bad? I don't know until I dig in a little bit deeper. When you start to glean an article and you're looking for, you know, let's say you're looking for fraud, you're looking for embezzlement, but none of those things come up. The CFO may have left because they were in an organization that was small and they moved to a large organization. That's a good thing. And it probably means he was running a really tight ship. Um, So that's where I think this ethical AI comes in, where you have to really be careful about how you're moving forward. And that is when we paused and said, we need to do a little more homework before we move out on this. The rest of the stuff we were presenting very, very quickly. We were moving at a rapid pace. That gave us a little case for concern. And I think that that's um, probably what most folks are using AI in some way, shape, or form. But it's when you get into this advanced analytics, that's when it starts to become a little bit scary. That's also bad
1: headline writing if someone just says CIO, CFO to, li- to leave. I mean, that's, not, that's just not good journalism.
0: Well, I'm not going to comment can, on I that. I can tell you that
1: much. That's my expertise. Maybe not ethical AI, but I can tell you that. Uh, when you go through the framework a little bit for me and explain what's in it, how it works, uh, and, and so beyond, hey, here's another tool that uh, Agency X is now
0: given by their consultant, what, what, is, what is the tool around so I mean I was outlining it before, but the, the tool is really we're going to come in and we're going to try to the best we can hold the hand of people as they walk through this process understand what how you what AI you have how you're using it understand exactly where that um, use case can be replicated and then most importantly is look at your failed projects um, I have said this a thousand times that I've learned more from failures in my career than I've learned from any success. Um, I know that when I was in the government, we took a lot of our failed projects and we just pushed them in a closet and never wanted to look at them again. That's a treasure trove of information on how to move forward. So don't be afraid to admit that there was an issue or an error because that issue or error can, can catapult you in your next round of trying to move forward. And that's where we want to help with this, this diagnostic. When folks are, are – we talked about – you talked about, talk about sentiment analysis, ethical AI, and I think we'll
1: get into that in the next segment. But, but before we do that – What's the biggest questions you get from folks as they as they start to say okay do we have AI or not is it again that definition piece
0: is it really AI is everything AI like like what what are you hearing from your your federal clients so i i think it is a definition what exactly is AI and so i think that's why everybody is putting this large box around it to say you know we're not going to define it as any one particular thing Um, I like the term intelligent automation because as long as you're starting the journey and you're starting to use these tools in the way that they're um, meant to be used in an ethical manner, um, you will slowly but surely see the benefits of layering on those technologies. And, you know, um, the first time I played with natural language processing, we were looking at uh, the single audits on grants. And if you've ever read a single audit, I can tell you it's probably one of the um, worst reads you can have in your life. You know, a, a six, seven hundred page state audit um, and, and coming from an accounting background, incredibly boring. Natural language processing can go through that so quickly. It's unstructured data. It can make sense of it. And once you've made sense of it, and you understand where information is throughout that entire 600 page document. Then you can start to go in and, and start to glean way more than you ever could have understood just doing manual reviews. And that, to me, is what people are starting to recognize is the best part about these technologies.
1: Good uh, spot to take a break. When we come back, we can dig deeper into some of those risks, how to mitigate the risks, and we can continue our discussion. You're listening to The Discussion of Modern Government AI Risk Management, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. Is your agency feeling the pressure to modernize? A new app isn't enough. Becoming modern requires rethinking the way you operate. At KPMG, we help agencies optimize their business functions, enable the workforce with digital platforms and tools, and protect critical assets from ever-changing threats. Meet current and future mission requirements by continuously improving and constantly adapting with KPMG by your side. To learn more, go to read.kpmg.us/modgov. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion: Modern Government AI Risk Management, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Mike Peckham, Managing Director of Advisory at KPMG. Now, Mike, before break, we're talking a little bit about the risks, and you you brought up this idea of the framework you all have, the tool to help agencies kind of understand how they're using AI today. And I love the fact you kind of didn't split the the, the words that have to say, listen, AI, intelligent automation, call it like you will. What, let's talk a little bit about some some guidance that's coming around, around AI risk management. Agencies are still kind of in that, okay, how do I use it? What are my risks? How to understand risks? What's the first step to understanding what the risks are when using AI? You mentioned ethical AI as an example.
0: Well, I think ethical AI comes up just because of you've seen what's happened um, with biometrics. And um, there have been hearings on the Hill about the use of these tools um, in identifying folks, uh, specifically folks of color, and how there have been perceived biases and real biases. And I, who can deny that? I I, I mean, it's a problem. Um, I do believe that a lot of that problem falls back to the idea that uh, the information that was used in order to, so these are algorithms, that's all they are, and the algorithms were built around um, the largest population that they had available to them, and in the case of the biometrics, it happened to be, for the most part, white men. Um, so they had very strong algorithms in that case. Uh, I've talked to some folks at KPMG, and they introduced me to synthetic data. And that's an incredible way of going about this problem. Um, you can take any data, you can synthesize the data, and you can create um, personas, let's call them that. Um, for fictitional people, however, it's based on just change, tweaking the skin color tweaking the eye color, just enough to make sure that you have an algorithm that is strong. Um, i love to go back to Alexa, and I believe this is correct, but I think when they first released Alexa, they had already fed it seven million lines of code. And when it first came out, it was still rough. It wasn't moving very quickly, and it gave you a lot of, you know, I would say poor results when it came back, but it has gotten better and better and better. And that's what you can do with the synthetic data. You can create a stronger algorithm that is going to be, it's going to, you know, lessen the biases. You'll never get rid of them. People are behind the algorithms. Right. I mean, it's still software, it's still
1: code, it's still people. So I think that that's key. We talked a little bit about ethical AI, but there's also some other risks that, that come in with AI. Uh, there's also, you mentioned the job risk, so I lose my job. Are there other risks also that agencies need to be considering? Are there things that come up that may you know, they consider risks, but maybe are more like, there's just a we'll call them minor obstacles that they just have
0: to get their head around? I would say it's it's more of the minor obstacles. Um, I'm very interested to see what's going to happen with all these um, AI risk playbooks. Um, I know that HHS issued one, um, I believe it was early in 2020, if I'm not mistaken, and NIST is still working on a finalized version. It may have come out, but the last I checked, it was out for final comment. Um, I think that they are trying to wrap their hands around what are all the risks that we're dealing with, put them or encapsulate them to the best ability that we can as a as a government, and then start to address those as they come up. And this is, you know, it's 15 years old, but it's still new from the perspective of it's finally starting to be used, um, I I will say, widely. And from that perspective, everybody's going to have a different take on it. And people like me who have been around it for a long time, an early adopter, who who I'm, I'm really eager to move out on it, um, as I just said, there are times when you have to pause, you have to stop, and you have to say, wait a minute, I didn't realize you know, my sentiment analysis was going to bring up all these different ideas and concepts, and maybe we need to look at this one more time before we move forward. And and that's what we have to do as an, as an entire government.
1: If uh, We'll definitely link to that uh, HHS uh, AI risk playbook as, as an example, and if the NIST one is out, it, we'll, we'll link to that too, and if not, we'll link to the draft version. One thing that's really important too is, AI, for the sake of AI, will never work, right? Agencies are using it to do something. That's really to drive decisions, to really improve how they deliver services, better governance. Let's start down that path a little bit and and help me understand that the role that AI can play in really improving citizen services,
0: mission mission effectiveness, or however we're going to term it. So you nailed it, Jason. Having the right use case. Um, Too many times I've been involved in projects where somebody said, hey, we've got AI, let's go use it. So, you know, I'm the hammer looking for the nail. Um, I believe, and it has worked out very, very well for me in the projects that I have led, that human-centered design or user-centered design is going to lead you to where the problem is, and then you look at the right solution to the problem. And as I was saying before, you know, with our travel post-payment audit, the RPA was the first step as a right solution, but it wasn't the end-all, end be-all of the entire process. And I think that that, you know, nine minute process, which actually got down to five minutes before I left, could probably get down to about a minute or less. Um, If you take the right approach and you realize that, so we've solved problem one, what's problem two that sits behind that problem one and what's problem three? It's never as simple as just silver bullet and we're done.
1: Really? After all these years of technology, I thought eventually somebody would develop that silver bullet, but we're trying. You're trying. (laughs) Well, hurry up. Come on. (laughs) Uh, I want to uh, talk, the other piece of this that you brought up is, is that, that, that process to understand what the problems are. Are you still seeing folks who say, oh, the shiny object syndrome, if you will, where they are excited to say, well, let's, let's apply AI, and, and none of folks are taking a step back to say, okay, what's, what are we really trying to do here? Are we still in that early phase of, of shiny, shiny object phase, or are we past it?
0: So I think there are two things there. I think there's the, the category of it ain't broke, don't fix it. And then I think there are folks who are just like, okay, well, you gave me this new tool, and let's run out and let's use it. Um, I still to this day see more of the if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to explain to one gentleman, it was quite funny, um, when we did this uh, risk uh, the, the risk assessment, he said to me, well, if the people don't do all the work themselves, they'll never actually understand how hard it is and what it takes to pull this risk assessment together. And I looked at him and I said, you do know they use calculators today in high school on tests. Because to me that was like foundationally like we're past that. We're done. And if somebody understands what the process is about based on the outcomes, you can you can backwards engineer any smart person can backwards engineer and figure out, OK, I understand where all this information came from. And I understand what you were looking at when you made this decision, because if you build a system that hyperlinks back into all the source material that you're looking for, it's easy to connect the dots. And it's a lot easy, uh, harder to look at all the seven or eight different systems and pull them into a central point.
1: The other piece that I think we should talk about is the, the the broader oversight on AI that we're seeing across the government. We know that, for instance, uh, there's a Office of Science and Technology Policy, Office of Management and Budget have started to look at some AI. Uh, I don't call them regulations yet or policies, but they're they're moving down to say, okay, how do we take advantage of it and how do we deal with it? We also have obviously challenges within the Defense Department. Just give me a sense of, of what you're seeing around kind of that broader view about that regulation of AI. And I think there's a technical
0: side and a, a more policy-focused side or tactical side. Well, being someone who's always wanted to move out and move out quickly, the last thing you want to hear is there's going to be policy, there's going to be statute, and there's going to be governance. But it is absolutely necessary. And I applaud everything that is being done um, by OMB at this point in time. Um, when we started doing our work, we had no ill intent. None whatsoever. But anything that you design that is this powerful can obviously be used for something, uh, a purpose you never intended it for. And that's another part of, you know, what we're doing in in the diagnostic. What is your intended outcome? What are the potential unintended outcomes of what you're doing? Because you've got to understand those in order to at least have a list of them and be talking about them. You may not be able to mitigate them, but don't pretend they don't exist. Getting
1: your head around those unintended consequences. It's the famous, you don't know what you don't know. How do you, how do folks work through it? Is it a lot of, well, what would happen if? It's a lot of questions like that to say, to have folks think about, well, what if that data got out? What would happen? Would it shut down? What, you, walk me through with some of those conversations.
0: Well, so those are, those are the naysayers when you're doing any project and you should listen to them, I mean, twice, three times. Um, the folks who are, The reason I love human-centered design is if somebody doesn't want to move forward, they're going to give you a thousand different reasons not to move forward. But those thousand different reasons are really just opportunities to strengthen what you're doing in order to make sure that the product you deliver hits on everything that they've talked about. Uh, I used to tell my team all the time, you realize a complaint is just a suggestion in disguise? Well, this is a a Perfect use case of it. And we would do the user-centered design sessions, and I would sit in the back, and I would be quiet. I didn't want to be the one sitting up there as an SES trying to lead things, making folks think that this is what Mike wants. I wanted to hear what they had to say and then go have those one-off conversations with every single person after the fact and really dig into what those problems were, document those problems, and get a deep understanding as to how we were going to come back in two weeks, a month, six weeks, and say, here's how we've addressed those issues for you.
1: I love that. A complaint is just a suggestion in disguise. Well, I may steal that if that's okay. And you can use it. It's not patented. <laughs> the other side of this that we talked a little bit about is the data. And there's data that underlies the use of AI tools and intelligent automation. That's sometimes also the first step agencies say, okay, what data do I have and what shape is that data in? It's not be really perfect. We know that. And don't let the perfect be the enemy of good. We've heard that before. But maybe walk us through a little bit about the, the, how you guys help agencies think about what data, where they can get the data from, how to apply the data, this, the, the big data question.
0: So data is king. Um, worked with a guy at HHS who said that many times and he was not wrong. Um, but data is hard to ingest when it's not standardized, and we're never, ever going to get to standardized data. I mean, I'll say in my lifetime. Um, We like to take the approach of how can we normalize the data and how can we create aliases for any type of data that you're using. One of the things I used to love to use when I was working in HHS was, okay, we need to report for the Data uh, Data Act obligations, if you want to call it a ham sandwich, I don't care if you call it a ham sandwich in your system. But when it gets to my system, it needs to be obligation. So let's figure out what all those aliases are, and when we do our ETL, we do our data exchange. Um, you know, however we're going to port the data from one system to the other. By the time it gets to the system that is the system of record for reporting purposes, it is consistent. And if we can take that approach slowly but surely, talking about backwards engineering, as you do updates to those systems that are, you know providing you with information, you can slowly but surely over time come to the data standards within those systems so that you don't have to do this translation in between.
1: It always comes back around to the data taxonomy. People hate those words. I I, I just wrote a recent story about architecture. Same thing. People hate the word architecture. But these things are, are really the building blocks to make AI, make any technology work well. Is the, is the issue still today the lack of standards around data or is it where the data exists? Oh, it's in that system, it's in this system and
0: I can't get the systems to talk to each other. What are some of the other challenges you're seeing? So I, I led Data Act for HHS and I found that very interesting you bring it up. Um, folks would say to me, Mike, I have the data and I'll give you the data but you're not getting in my system. So there's a, there's a basic trust in, uh, issue going on and I can recognize and understand that. Um, my you know model architecture is If I'm doing any type of reporting, I'm doing a reference model where I'm going to pull the information from your system where it resides, and I'm just going to display it. Um, That is the, I will say, probably easiest way to do it. But if you can't get into a system, if you can't use APIs or something to get real-time information, or if the just the architecture is very, very old and doesn't allow it, you know, it happens a lot where you're dealing with systems that have COBOL that are still embedded within that system somewhere. And... You've got to look at the age of the system. You, you've got to, at some point in time, figure out systems do need to retire just like people. Um, you can't just keep them going forever and ever and ever. So there comes the opportunities come when you start to realize that you're having trouble interacting with other systems and it's just not working. Then you need to take, take a second look at your system, understand, am I helping or hindering the process, and move forward from there.
1: Mike, in the last 30 seconds or so, and I've really enjoyed our conversation, we're just about out of time. What's our big takeaway from our conversation today? What do you want, want agencies to keep in mind as they move further further into use of AI, machine learning, intelligent automation?
0: That, um, you know, I've been there. It's a little tricky to start. Um, and I think with the governance and all the uh, other guidance that's coming out, it might become a little easier, actually, Um I've said this before and I'll say it again. Don't be afraid to take that first step, to, to take that first journey, to understand, do I have a use case? Do I have the right technology to address that use case? And how can I move forward? And if you need to part, partner with somebody, come to an organization like KPMG or someone who's been down that path before. Talk to them. Um, it's the best way that you're going to learn. Um, learning, Trying to learn things on your own is, is tough.
1: And I think you make a really great point is start small get that first use case, find some success or even a failure, learn from that, and then then move on. Absolutely. Mike, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today, so let me thank my guest. Mike Peckham is a Managing Director of Advisory at KPMG. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Jason. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Modern Government AI Risk Management, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search KPMG.
0: Thank you for listening to the discussion, Modern Government AI Risk Management, sponsored by KPMG on Federal News Network.